VegCast. Go northwest, young man and woman. VegCast. It's VegCast 41, and I'm Vance. I'll be your host. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. Yes, for VegCast 41, we're going out to the great Pacific Northwest, an area of the country that has a reputation as uh, one of the most vegetarian-friendly or vegetarian-oriented areas of uh, North America. And we're going to stop by Seattle, Washington, and Portland, Oregon to check out the scene there with help of Stuart Rose of Vegetarians of Washington and uh, author of The Vegetarian Solution, uh, and also Lisa Higgins of Sweet Baking Company in Portland. Uh, that's one of the businesses in the world's first vegan mini mall. So we'll be talking to her about her experiences there. We'll also have some music from a Seattle band or a band that was at the time based in Seattle. So that's fair game for me. They're vegetarians, they're from Seattle uh, related. We're going to be hearing from them. And we will have a science fact, as always, this time uh, one that has good news about soy. So that's VegCast 41, uh, which, as always, is sponsored by Temptation Vegan Ice Cream, the world's greatest non-dairy ice cream made on dedicated equipment by dedicated vegans. You can check them out at GoTemptation.com. So sit back. Relax, and we're going to be coming at you from the Pacific Northwest with this 41st episode of All right, and before we go out to the Pacific Northwest, just an update on the topic from last VegCast, which was, of course, the Westland Hallmark Meat Recall and all of the various ramifications of that, the downers getting into the food supply. That is now the official word, as Steve Mendel, the owner of the plant, testified on Wednesday, March 12th, uh, before Congress. And uh, in a rather dramatic reversal, he went in claiming no downers had gotten into the food supply and was uh, forced to change and retract that claim uh, after having to watch uh, one of the videos uh, that the Humane Society had uh, made available to the public. And I just wanted to point that out because there's an interesting phenomenon called According to Activists, and this is a trick of journalists or a tick of journalists, uh, depending on whether it's intentional or not, uh, in which something that is factually true and pretty much irrefutable is, rather than being spoken by the reporter as fact, is reported as a quote from an activist. Now, the activist probably, you know, certainly did say this. The activist is passing on the facts. But by putting it into the mouth of the activist, it's taken out of the realm of irrefutable fact and put on a standing of, well, it may be true or it may not be true. And just one little example of this that I found in the uh, in the reporting on this very scene, the AP story, which came out first... It goes like this in this passage. Asked about the discrepancy with his written testimony, Mendel said, I had not seen what I saw here today. He said that the Agriculture Department had not shared with him some of the undercover video shot by the Humane Society of the United States. Uh, Stupak, the committee chairman, 
pointed out that the video has been available on the Humane Society website. Boom. There you go. Stupak pointing out, okay, this is what happened. We're reporting on what was going on in the congressional hearing uh, where he's saying, oh, I'm sorry I didn't see it. That's, you know, that they wouldn't make it available to me. Well, Stupak says, uh, excuse me, but it's on the Humane Society website and has been for some time. The New York Times version of this same portion of the testimony goes, Mr. Mendel said he had asked for a copy of the second video, but it had been refused. The president of the Humane Society, Wayne Pacelli, said, however, that the video had been on the group's website since February 19th. Well, there were, were I guess we're getting a, a little detail that reporter called up Wayne and talked to him and got this February 19th date. But oddly, that had the effect of downgrading the position of the Humane Society because instead of something that was objectively true or something that was happening in the hearing uh, among figures of authority, it's now perhaps an opinion, perhaps an exaggeration, we don't know, of this activist, Wayne Pacelli. Uh, so watch for that when you're reading uh, stories about uh, activism or anything, in fact, that uh, has non-mainstream ideas. And I know Mickey Z has been uh, railing against the New York Times and they're reporting on this kind of thing for, for years. Uh, but I have to say, just in terms of this case and in these congressional hearings, I have seen so many uh, just ridiculous, biased uh, reports about this that I really have to wonder about that, about whether there really is some kind of uh, agenda there. But we're going to have to wonder about that on our own time, because now it's time to head out to Seattle, Washington. All right, right now on the phone with us from Washington is Stuart Rose, the Vice President of Vegetarians of Washington. Stuart Rose, thanks for being on VegCast. My pleasure. And uh, we want to talk to you especially right around now because uh, we're hearing a lot of stuff out of uh, the Pacific Northwest. And not only do you have a book out currently uh, called The Vegetarian Solution, but uh, you also worked on one that is going to be coming out very shortly uh, called Vegetarian Pacific Northwest. Is that right? That's correct. Could you tell us a little about the guidebook? I, I understand that it's both you're covering Washington and Oregon, basically. Yes, Vegetarian Pacific Northwest is our guidebook to vegetarian and veg-friendly shopping and dining throughout the Pacific Northwest, but also carries uh, certain extras in the book, such as uh, a guide to community-supported agriculture, farmers' markets, and other ways to buy food as well. Great. And so it, it's got restaurants, it's got groceries, it's got things that uh, just place where you ha can get a hold of any anything vegetarian. I mean, is it strictly consumer oriented or is it are there also things about activist organizations and you know events that you might want to join or what well the book is pretty much a user guide um, for the average individual who wants to be able to travel throughout the region and know where he can get a good lunch or know where he can pick up some healthier groceries mm -hmm. well so I mean the Pacific Northwest certainly already has a uh, this image of, uh, you know, the, the ex-hippies, the granola crunching crowd out there. And I have to say, I have, I've never actually uh, made it out there yet myself. I've only been to, to California, so I haven't got up there. How much of this image that the rest of the country seems to have is, is accurate and how much of it is a, kind of a, uh, an exaggeration? Well, there's certainly a percentage of people 
who kind of fit that stereotype. But I've got to say, the vegetarian community, the Pacific Northwest, is enormously diverse. It's diverse in terms of lifestyle. Um, some live a very alternative lifestyle, but most of our members are actually quite conventional. Also, um, we're very diverse in terms of age. Uh, certainly there's lots of baby boomers. <laughs> there's no question about it. Mm-hmm. But we have some, some many senior citizen members and some you know, recently out of college members were even quite diverse politically. We have a number of members who are both quite progressive and quite conservative. Okay. Um, and what is, but generally you would say that it is a strong vegetarian scene out there? I mean, it, it seems like the rest of the country, if they had to uh, pinpoint, you know, an area where you'd be likely to find vegetarians. A lot of people would probably point up toward the far left corner of the, the country. Yes, I would agree with that. And, you know, I'm originally from New York, but I've got to say that the Pacific Northwest is probably the most, not probably, it's definitely the most veg-friendly part of the country. Mm-hmm. The amount of restaurants, the popularity of the or- of the organization certainly is a reflection on um, the local population being very veg-interested and very veg-supportive. The, the restaurants, the amount of shopping that we have, when people travel here from other parts of the country, they often remark as to how lucky we are to have such a veg-friendly environment. And I would venture to say that we're ahead of the other parts of the country, even ahead of California and even ahead of other veg friendly parts of the country, such as San Francisco. As a matter of fact, I'd say we were way ahead. It's really something that's going on out here. It's good to hear that it is a veg-friendly place in general. How does that manifest? Could you give me any example of an anecdote or a uh, statistic or anything that will, um, you know, give us some kind of specific sense of, man, that place has got it going on? Well, one, one way is to look at the size of our festival, VegFest. Mm-hmm. Our Veg Fest that's held in March of each year and coming up this year on March 29th and 30th is at least double the size of the next largest event, which is in Boston. So just the size of the festival alone, the number of restaurants that are available, the, um, the consciousness of even the people who aren't vegetarian. You know, Seattle is a town that you can go into an ordinary restaurant, tell them that you're a vegan, and they understand. (laughs) You know, usually when you say, a vegetarian is one thing, usually when you say vegan, you get this look like, okay. They go all Roger Clemens on you. Yeah. (laughs) But they really get it out here, and not just the restaurants, but schools, hospitals, um, you know, the whole infrastructure. There's a large ferry system out here because of the geography, and even the state ferries carry vegetarian options. So the the, the whole region has sort of accommodated itself to the vegetarian demographic group that continues to grow in the Pacific Northwest. Okay, well, that's you've given me some, uh, you know, benchmark of how veg-friendly it is with the restaurants and the understanding. I have to ask, though, in terms of the the infamous VegCast for restaurant for vegan restaurant challenge, Uh, is there anywhere, for example, in Seattle where you can walk uh, from one restaurant to another to another to another, go to four completely vegan restaurants in the space of five minutes. 
Well, no, not uh, in the space of five minutes. Well, typical of most northwestern cities, Seattle is very spread out. Well, yeah, I guess that's... If that's you would have said 10 or 15 minutes, I would have said sure. Well, see if you can get it down to that, though. What you can reach in Seattle in five minutes on foot. All right. Well, then I'm, we're still going to, however, you know, you can have your measurement, but over here in Philadelphia, we're going to stick to that as, uh, as our benchmark, that I'm still challenging any podcaster in the country to, uh, to beat that or match that with, uh, with their own. So, but, Stuart, let's uh, just talk about uh, the book, The Vegetarian Solution. Why, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of books about vegetarianism coming out now, of course. Why did you say, you know, I have, exa- I have something to, that I need to get out there now, and I'm going to put this book out? Well, one of the reasons we wrote the book is we felt that, yes, there are other books out there about, you know, the advantages of a vegetarian diet, but they didn't have as broad a scope as what we wanted to see. They would talk about, let's say, heart disease and cancer, but they would leave out diseases such as Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's, osteoporosis. And so while there are many good books on the subject, we felt that we needed to tell more of the whole story of what was going on. Um, For environmental issues, yes, there's many books that talk about the problems of water pollution and so on and so forth. But we wanted to include other other issues like global warming. And we also wanted to talk about global hunger. Mm-hmm. These are, are, are issues that are very important to a lot of people that are very directly related to a vegetarian diet but don't often get the space and attention they deserve. Also, there were groups of people that felt that their concerns and needs were not being adequately addressed. Senior citizens, pregnant women, um, diets for four- and five-year-olds, and so forth. So we wanted to give all the information we could to cover as much territory as we could in one convenient place, and that's why we wrote the book. Also unique in this book um, is a section on food and faith. There are a lot of people who come at this from a spiritual perspective, and while we have no particular spiritual um, leanings as an organization, we wanted to give a little airtime to the rather um, emphatic and, and surprising support that many of the world's religious leaders are now giving and have given in the past to a vegetarian diet. You know, um, the founder of the Methodist Church and the founder of, of, of the Salvation Army were both vegetarians. Right. Uh, chief rabbi, two chief rabbis of Israel. Um, you know, we all have heard about, um, um, you know, Hindus um, and Buddhists following a vegetarian diet, but how many people know that there are four vegetarian orders within the Roman Catholic Church? So what we wanted to do was kind of broaden the net, broaden the appeal, take an open-arms approach, and write a book that would lead you by the hand in a warm and supportive manner through the nutritional landscape uh, of the country today, pointing out some of the crises that exist and showing how a vegetarian diet can be part of the solution. Okay, great. That's, that is the aptly titled, then, uh, The Vegetarian Solution. And uh, that's out from uh, the book publishing company. Also, Vegetarian Pacific Northwest uh, will probably be out just about the time this podcast uh, goes online. So uh, you can also get that from the the book publishing company. And uh, VegFest is coming up March 29th and 30th. Is that right? 
That's correct. March 29th and 30th at the Seattle Center in Seattle, Washington. So uh, this will be out uh, in early March. People can still uh, sign up. People can still uh, make plans. If they are just hearing about it now, maybe they could get out there and check out some of the uh, the interesting things happening in the Pacific Northwest? Definitely. Tickets are available at the door, and we've got so much food to serve. There's over 700 kinds to try, and there'll be cooking demonstrations and doctors talking about health and nutrition, a special kids program. But, the, but most of all, there'll be just a lot of really good-tasting food. My recommendation is don't eat breakfast before you come. Okay. Bring us an appetite. All right, great. And if people want uh, more information about VegFest or the uh, Vegetarians of Washington, is there a good uh, place we can send them online? Sure. www.vegofwa.org. Okay, great. Stuart Rose, thanks very much for taking the time to be with us on VegCast. My pleasure. San Francisco. That's Beloved Binge, a VegCast fave from the days when they were still back in Seattle. They're now operating out of North Carolina. But I had to play that song. You heard Stuart Rose kind of running down San Francisco as a supposed uh, vegetarian haven in favor of Seattle. 
But uh, let's check out Portland now and see what Lisa Higgins has to say. Okay, right now with us on VegCast by phone, we have Lisa Higgins of Sweet Pea Baking Company out there in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Lisa, welcome to VegCast. Hi, thank you very much. And uh, thank you for being here. I wanted to talk to you as a representative, as somebody who was part of this uh, big initiative out there to start what they're calling the first vegan mini mall in uh, in the United States. Now, I realize it's, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it is, uh, I think, a landmark that we should celebrate and find out more about. You guys have uh, multiple vegan businesses out there next to each other. Is that right? We do. Yeah, we have four vegan, totally vegan businesses right now. They're all vegan-run, and then we also have an acupuncture clinic that is run all vegan, but I don't believe it's owned by vegans. Okay. All right. Well, what? who, are, who all do you have uh, so far, and can, can you describe uh, kind of how this came together? Yeah, yeah, we are all friends, all of our businesses. Um, we've got My Bakery, and we've got Herbivore Clothing and Magazine, which is owned by Josh and Michelle, uh-huh. and Food Fight Grocery, owned by Chad and Emiko, and then Scapegoat Tattoo, which is owned by Brian Wilson. Okay, uh, now that's one of the things, I, I don't know if I'm the only person that reacts this way, but you say vegan tattoo, and, I, and then my first <laughs> thought is, well, wh- how are tattoos, how would they not be vegan? I don't know enough, I don't, I don't have any tattoos myself, so what? how does that work? I think that's a pretty common question that Brian gets a lot. He's probably the best person to talk to about it, but um, as far as I know, a lot of the glycerin that's used in tattoo inks is often animal-derived. Okay. So I think that he sources all his inks and checks the ingredients so that they're all vegan, you know, no animal glycerin. Great. And then any products that he uses, you know, alongside the tattoos, like any lotions or I don't, I don't know what else goes along with it, but all of that stuff is also going to be vegan in his shop. And uh, are there any restrictions on content that, you you know, you can't show a guy shooting a deer or... <laughs> no? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't right. wonder well, how often that comes up for We'll him. have to follow up with Brian on that. But uh, for your company, you have a, a vegan uh, baking company. Obviously, it's a, it's a bakery. Do you, can you just describe some of the, the stuff that you have there that people are coming in to get? Yeah, we are a full-service bakery, so we do all kinds of, like, anything from wedding cakes to birthdays and then all sorts of pastries and Danish, and we've been trying to focus on kind of hard-to-find stuff. Like, we've been working on a really traditional Danish or croissants or just anything you would normally see at a bakery but maybe not find vegan very often. Okay. And um, in terms of vegan baking, there are, I mean, Certainly the the big thing that comes up for most people is, well, how do you bake without eggs? And there are different um, different strategies uh, to to replace the eggs with different things. Do you have one that you lean on? Or is this a, I don't want to get into trade secrets here necessarily, but That's okay. do, you, do you have one? Uh, is it more of a banana thing, a flax thing, a, uh, you know, energy egg replacer and everything? Or what are you, what are you doing there? It's actually kind of all of the above. It depends on the recipe you're working on. We, we actually rarely use bananas because they have such a strong flavor, but uh-huh. um, egg replacer, energy egg replacer works great in cookies. Um, Flaxseed works great in anything bready. Uh-huh. Um, what else do we use? Our cakes, actually, we don't use an egg replacer at all. Sometimes it's just as easy to leave them out. Okay. Uh, we use silken tofu sometimes, sort well. of just um, trial and error to find the right one for a yeah. recipe. So it's it's not just, you know, you just have one thing to use. It's, it's more uh, you're kind of uh, approaching each uh, bakery item as its own thing and then figuring out what's going to work best. Exactly. Um, so let me just ask uh, about 
you know, the fact that this happened in, in Portland and in the, the great uh, Pacific Northwest is probably no surprise to anybody. And I, I had talked to Stuart Rose earlier, uh, who's in Washington, uh, about the, this whole area and how it has this, this kind of uh, reputation as a, a place for old hippies to go. And I, I want to ask you from your perspective, you guys seem like you're all uh, kind of the young set but do you do you have a lot of old hippie clientele, or who? How how is it exactly that that this is so viable out there? Well, thanks for saying that we're young. Cause none of us are feeling very young at the moment, I don't think. But okay, <laughs> um, I don't really know. We've all kind of talked about why Portland has been so great for this, and I don't know if it started out with a small reputation, and so lots of people are moving here. I mean, we have new people come in every day saying they've moved here because of the vegan community. Um, but it's just really, honestly, awesome place to live. Like, everyone's really open-minded. There's, you know, you can walk into any restaurant here and say, you know, what's vegan on the menu? And they'll always have an option. They'll always know what vegan means. They're always willing to accommodate you. It's just pretty amazing, the whole city in general. So but Oregon as a whole, I mean, if you go outside of Portland, I don't, I think that's not going to happen. It's sort of this really, we always call it a bubble, you know. We live inside this community that's so different from any anywhere else. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm... I have to say this is I'm this is kind of being uh, packaged in with the Stuart Rose interview on the premise that the Pacific Northwest lends itself somehow as a whole area of the country to kind of this. But you're you're saying that no, when you once you cross the city <laughs> limits, you might as well be in Idaho or something. Is that? Yeah, I can't imagine that Idaho would be quite the same as Portland. But I know Seattle <laughs> also has a really kind of burgeoning, you know, vegan scene as well. And right. I think. Um, there's Eugene and even Tacoma. And there's, you know, it's definitely a spread going on here. So. Okay. Well, I have to mention uh, the great uh, vegan podcast challenge. I don't know how many podcasters you know there, but I mentioned this to Stuart Rose also in in the uh, an early vegcast. I did a walk around uh, Chinatown here in Philadelphia, where uh, you can walk f- uh, from one to the other to the other to the other of four vegan restaurants in less than five minutes. And I challenged at that point. In 2005, any podcaster in any other city in the country to uh, to replicate this, and until that point, I am naming uh, Philadelphia the you know the, the the champion of this particular aspect. But you guys, you're you're approaching this by having a density of uh, at least two vegan food places there, and then also uh, two other vegan businesses. Do you see uh, you know do you see this kind of steamrolling or snowballing, and uh, maybe somebody out there is going to be able to topple philadelphia (laughs) i don't know if it'll be in our neighborhood that would be awesome we have one more space open in the building right now that we're trying to find another vegan business to go into i would love for it to be some kind of vegan restaurant bar some other food would be awesome for us so Mm -hmm. i think it's a possibility we're going to compete so you've got it you've got the bakery and people can go there get baked goods they can go to food fight for regular groceries but it would be great to have like uh you know a night out at at a a vegan restaurant that would be Right. Okay, well, what part of Portland are you in? Just in, for people that know that area, I've never been to Portland, but uh, just to give some... Portland, at the corner of 12th and Stark. Okay, great. So, and it, the uh, once you have that, you'll, you'll feel like you really have the whole mini-mall thing going on, but it, do you have any other great plans for the future? Um, well, we definitely want to start hosting more events, and we're starting to do more food. We're doing an all-you-can-eat vegan brunch on Sundays. Um, We're having some shows here. I think Food Fight is open to having bands play. We're 
you know, we're trying to sort of make more of a community effort and bring people together here all the time. Great. Well, it sounds like a great effort there, and uh, I think it's a, a harbinger of even greater things to come. So, uh, Lisa Higgins, thank you very much for taking the time out. I know it's very busy there, but uh, thanks for taking the time to talk with us on VegCast. Of course. Thanks for having me. Our science fact for this VegCast is fermenting takes the allergy out of soy. Uh, This is from foodnavigator.com, and it's uh, reporting on a a very preliminary study, but one that, uh, as I said at the outset, could be good news, uh, especially for everybody who has a soy allergy. Uh, and would like to eat vegetarian and uh, has to be shut out of a wide variety of uh, meat analogs and also just other things that uh, are made with soy. Um, Researchers at the University of Illinois and the Instituto de Fermentaciones Industriales in Madrid, Spain, uh, suggest that allergen-free soy products could be nearer than previously thought simply by fermenting the beans with a number of microorganisms, including bacteria, molds, and yeast. Uh, researcher Elvira de Meya from the University of Illinois said, When we fermented soy seeds, flour, or meal by introducing certain microorganisms, immunoreactivity was significantly reduced by as much as 99%. This shows that we have the potential of developing nutritious hypoallergenic soy products. So we're not there yet, Uh, but I just wanted to uh, note that because uh, it is an important milestone. I don't have any great uh, pro or con uh, opinion uh, to rail about this time out as I sometimes do. Uh, If I were going to express an opinion, it would be that uh, we need to remember not to see soy as just a vegetarian version of meat, something that we should be uh, really trying to include in every meal because it's such an important building block of our diet. It's a great food. It has a lot of uh, variety to it. Uh, But just be sure if you're leaving meat behind and moving to a vegetarian diet that you're not uh, having, you know, soy veggie burgers and drinking your soy milk and having your soy yogurt and doing everything soy, 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 because that is uh, one of the practices that may uh, lead an allergy to, uh, to start or to inflame. So fermenting takes the allergy out of soy. We may be looking forward to uh, non or hypoallergenic soy in the future. And if we do wind up seeing that, then you can say, hey, I heard it first on the Science Fact. Well, that's going to just about wrap it up for VegCast 41. So now we must bid adieu to the great Pacific Northwest. And I want to remind you that this VegCast is sponsored by Temptation Vegan Ice Cream, the world's greatest non-dairy ice cream. Check them out at GoTemptation.com. All right, I want to thank Stuart Rose and Lisa Higgins of Seattle and Portland, respectively, for helping us out on our tour of the Pacific Northwest. I want to thank Beloved Binge for letting us play their music on VegCast, and I want to thank you for downloading 
VegCast. And if you are a subscriber and are getting this regularly through your iTunes, I want to remind you that the VegCast homepage at VegCast.com, we have redesigned that and added some functionality so you can search for your favorite guests, your favorite topics. And, of course, we'll be coming back at you with VegCast 42 in a couple of weeks. Until then, this is Vance reminding you to get out there and live like you mean it. VegCast.